Welcome back to another episode of Option 5. My name is George Brooks, and today on the podcast, we get a chance to talk to Stephen Meyer. He is a product design manager at Keep, an all-in-one CRM sales and marketing automation platform, uh, formerly known as Infusionsoft. Uh, The conversation that Dan and I got to have with Stephen was incredible. He's got so many different passions, but really the truth is, is that he loves people. He really focuses on his team understanding his user and his customer. He cares about literally like what's going on in their lives and how his product might affect their lives. We should all be thinking more like that. Also, we talked about his side projects with design systems and style guides and other kind of nerding out on product design, um, the product design world. I love the way that he gets to influence his designers and the way that their teams are set up. Keep sounds like they have an incredible culture that both supports their people, has systems and processes to make sure that work gets done well, but also iterates on itself. Um, So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So let's go ahead and jump in. Why don't you go ahead and give a quick introduction uh, to yourself, um, your role, and kind of your background, and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, definitely. So um, as far as my role, so I'm a product design manager at Keep. And getting into my background, um, if I were to kind of rewind time and go back a little while, um, around the 2010, 2011 timeframe, I actually started out doing uh, Windows Phone 7. Wow. And as Windows Windows 8 was getting introduced, doing uh, design and some front-end development for that. And that's actually how I got into design is I started to think there's got to be more to what I'm doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do good design. I knew I was not doing good design. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so at the time, I actually found a really good program at Cal State Fullerton in California in user experience and customer center design. And from there, uh, I jumped into the program after reading the description. I was like, this is it user experience design. This is, this is what I was thinking about. Yeah. And, uh, so really, really jumped into that. And at the same time, I actually started to take a course on Coursera in human computer Mm. interaction from UC San Diego, which just accelerated my knowledge in that area uh, significantly. Um, and that's really what launched my user experience career and, and led me to, uh, you know, tons of other great places. Um, yeah, let me know if you want to hear hear more about that or I, if that's... Yeah, I'm really curious. So I see the Marines, you've created your own startup, you've worked for a venture-backed startup, and now you're working for a Fortune 500 company. How, give us the timeline a little bit. How did you... I'm assuming Marines were first, and then after that came technology. Where did the love of technology come from? How did you get from Marines to where you are now? It's a very interesting path i'm always curious as the timeline of how people jump from one thing to another yeah definitely um so one thing that may be a common misconception um and this is perfect for this podcast is that innovation can be done uh it's universal it can be done everywhere right Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter the type of industry everyone can take advantage of innovation so uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, um, I, I had tons of opportunities to come up with different ways to innovate. So even within our vehicles, I would create custom mounts to mount our equipment and be able to hold our laptops and be able to communicate across different vehicles while we were on convoys, um, you know, while in Afghanistan. Wow. And um, 
I mean, there, there was just like tons of different cool things that nobody was doing. And if you just put a little thought and um, did a little, you know, iterations on your designs and be able to come up with some cool stuff that works, people take notice and they're like, hey, can you do that for us? And I always knew I was going to go to college. Um, I just didn't know if I wanted to go to college first and then join the Marine Corps as an officer or if I wanted to uh, go in the Marine Corps first and then have college pay for it and then go that route. Mm -hmm. And one thing that became apparent when I was getting ready to transition out of the Marine Corps is, first of all, I had to pick a major. What is it that I possibly want to do? And the self-defining moment that I had was like, I want to create something, mm. right? So whatever major I pick, it has to be something where I can sit there and have the you know, ability to create. And uh, ironically, so the first path I took was I said, okay, you know what? I really want to you know, go down the path of electrical engineering. Yeah. And over time that transitioned into computer science. Um, and I, I still love doing front end development, um, but computer science and going down that route just, just wasn't really my thing. It, it was more like a hobby of what I wanted to do. And then that's how I really started to formulate, like when I was doing front end development is it's design. It's mm -hmm. design that I want, it's user experience design. It's getting in that product development process and uh, really just creating some awesome things. Mm. Well, before we go any further, we just want to say thank you for your service. I wanted to make sure you heard that. Anytime I uh, interact with a veteran or someone that's been there, I want to make sure that you know that we're very thankful, especially in light of yesterday and just the deep reflection that goes into that. Uh, definitely thank you for your service. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's jump a little bit forward to, to keep. So um, how long have you been at keep? Tell, tell us a little about your role there. Um, a product design manager. So I always have to ask, do you get to design anymore? <laughs> um, and, and what does that look like for you guys and in your role there? Yeah. So um, let's start about keep. So I'm coming up on my one year anniversary and keep is awesome. I mean, it's it's the employees, the environment, our mission. Um, I mean, what we do at Keep is we're on a mission to simplify growth for millions of small businesses. And what that looks like is we help businesses get organized so that way they can deliver great service and grow their sales um, you know, across the board. So really helping them capture their leads, get organized and move them through that process so that way they have satisfied clients. And I mean, that's, that's an awesome mission, right? Because yeah. we get to work with just tons of great small businesses and we all know somebody that has a small business mm -hmm. and they're, they're going through those struggles and they're, they're trying to make it. And so we're on that mission to help them. It's make the it. backbone of our economy is small mm -hmm. business. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, do I get to design anymore? <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so the way that I always categorize myself, uh, yes, I'm a product design manager, um, but I usually swap that and say design leader, because to me okay. that means that um, I'm not just managing, I'm, I'm truly leading the team. And sometimes that means leading by example. Mm -hmm. That means staying up on the latest tools and processes, looking for innovation, and, and working directly with the team to help them um, really reach their full potential. And so, yeah, sometimes that means um, I jump in, I help out with concepts, mm -hmm. or I go through the ideation process with them, or I facilitate design sprints. So a lot of times, you know, our designers love to participate in design sprints as well. So they'll reach out and say, hey, um, we have this problem. We defined it. Can you help us run a design sprint around it? Love so it. I'll say, absolutely. Let's do this. Let's pull everyone together and get it scheduled. So it's still tons of great opportunity there for all that. That's awesome. So 
Um, what are your, what's your team makeup look like? So when you start thinking about, I know that building a team, a product team, and especially cause keep is so large now. Um, what does that look like for the way that you guys are structured? Do you work in departments? Like there's a design team and they do all the design and then there's the engineering or do you work together? Um, how, how, how does those structured team look like as much as you can share? Yeah. So within our product development department, um, we have our PDX group, which is our product design experience group. Um, so that's a makeup of product designers, user researchers, uh, content strategists, and then myself and my peer, who's also a product design manager, where we co-lead the organization. And the way that our designers are distributed is we have teams broken up that are actually based on features and outcomes that we want. Awesome. So we have like a time to value team. How quickly can we get somebody into our product and get them to value? So that that is what they are just fully focused on driving towards, which means they have a dedicated product manager, they have a dedicated product designer, and they have a dedicated engineering team. That's great. So essentially, yeah, essentially we have these pods throughout mm -hmm. you know, the entire second floor of our building that is each dedicated towards a certain outcome. Great. So you have cross-discipline teams that are focused on a certain aspect of the product. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Yep. Um, I'd love that because that's exactly what we're, we've been preaching. So if we go back to kind of season one of our podcast, Dan and I mostly sat down and said, well, how do we think that these teams work best? What do we see inside of the organizations we work with? How does Crema set up? Um, and that's what we've been preaching is that primarily that these cross-discipline teams led towards a vision or towards a mission, um, mostly for their users' outcomes, not necessarily for their even their own outcomes, but for their users' outcomes. Um, uh, really gets better results than throwing things over a wall saying, hey, design, your know, strategy team went and did a bunch of research on something. They threw it over a wall at a design team that spent the next six months designing out some rapid, massive prototyping thing. They threw it over a wall to engineering, you know, across the ocean or wherever it is. And they don't, we'll never talk to the designers. And we see it so much better. I love the way you guys are set up in these pods. And we're hearing mm -hmm. that term more and more pods. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um and even I want to go back to something you said earlier, which I think is so great about the way that you're thinking and also how Keep is thinking is that you first and foremost, you went straight back to what's the mission of the organization? What are we trying to do for our users, for our customers? And then that trickles down into each of those groups. How do you see that get communicated? How do you see that you get to live that out um, as you're working um, in your role? Oh, I mean, as far as our mission, um, I mean, first of all, we, we have our set of company core values that we embed into our daily life. And those core values are always tied directly back to our customers and our partners as well. But being able to really, um, you know, we, we, we find opportunities where we'll take our customers that are on this journey of trying to become successful or they're getting to that point where they're becoming successful and we bring them in. Awesome. So we'll bring them into the building, we'll have an all hands and they get to tell their stories. And sometimes this is done in person or sometimes it's even remote and we'll bring in different customers throughout the United States. Um, because the impact that that has is you get to hear exactly from the customer's voice in their words, what their experience is like in their product, what their journey has been like. And if they have pain points, you really get to hear it. I mean, there's times where people are saying like, yeah, I just, I wasn't able to close any deals for a few months mm. and I, I did not get paid and it was rough on my family. And, or, or especially you have to remember when they're using your product, if they lost a deal because of your product, you right. had a bug 
or something didn't work as expected, they feel that pain. Hmm. So in return, it's good for us to truly understand that uh, our, our quality control and what we ship must always be top quality. I mean, it has to be to make sure that they succeed and they get what they need out of the product. What does that do for your team when they hear those stories? What's the effect that you see? Oh, I mean, it's it's kind of like instant, right? I mean, people feel it in their chest because mm-hmm. <laughs> they, I mean, you realize yeah. that connection that you have. Um, it's not just some product that you throw over the wall and, hey, people use it. If they don't, who cares? And it's mm-hmm. kind of whatever after that we shipped it. No, I mean, there's that direct connection and reminding everyone that there's that level of connection. Mm. And plus, most of our employees and just like I said, just everyone in general, mm-hmm. um, we all know people that have a small business, whether it's your parents or family member, your friends. And that even builds the connection even more, because how would you feel if, you know, your parents were going through that and they were using your software? How embarrassed would you be to have your own parents say, we lost a deal? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the software that we're using that you guys provided. I mean, that that's pretty impactful. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys do that because there are times um, in our in our realm, in the agency life, um, there's a lot of times where, not in our company specifically, but it may be only a few certain roles that get to hear those stories from the customers and then they're relayed down, which is still helpful, but it's not complete, it's not sufficient. And so to be able to have a pod structure or a product team structure where they are all hearing that information at once, it immediately builds- um, Empathy. Yeah, empathy and camaraderie around, oh, this is why we are here. Um, we know why we're here, but now I can feel why we are here and why we're building this product. So that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Makes you all drive towards the same mission, Mm -hmm. which is always a great thing. So one question I have is, um, and this, not explicitly here, so we'll, I'll, I'll, we'll be mindful of, uh, what we can share and what we can't, but the, the one thing I have, um, question I have is how do teams communicate to other teams? So you have one product suite, right? And that product suite has to be a seamless experience across the board. But as you said, you might have different either customer journey um, focus or product feature focus. How do you communicate um, across your pods um, so that you know so that nothing's lost in translation? Yeah, absolutely. That is. Um, so for a little more history, right? This is the first time I've been in a situation where. There's, there's been so much dedication and resources towards a single product, mm. right? So in, in my last role, I was a product design manager for CDK Global in Seattle. And I had a team of 10 designers and we had 12 different products that my team oversaw. Ooh, wow. So essentially we had less than one designer per product is what that translates mm. to. So um, the, the overlap didn't really happen, right? So now um, I'm changing environments. I'm in this place where we have these pods broken up. They're, they're driving towards features and outcomes. And uh, it's essentially for one product. Yeah, so the, the biggest challenge is, is how do you stay consistent? So one thing that we definitely fall back on as the base of everything getting into our visual and interaction design is our design system. Yeah. Right, so we, yeah, very, very well documented design system where we have our sketch component libraries that we distribute to all the designers. We have template files that have all kinds of common scenarios. So if you are going to use our interface to pop up a dialog, we already have it done. Yeah. We have a template, grab it, put it in your file, swap out the text that you need to. Don't, don't <laughs> come up don't with your Don't change the dialog. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, that's the root of it. But then we also have our style guide, which actually has our pattern documentation. 
Mm-hmm. So as we have these common patterns that will build up, like we have, um, it's we're in the business of also uh, marketing automation. Yeah. So with comes messaging through SMS and email and, and phone calls. And so um, our email builder will show up in multiple places throughout our product. So we're able to document, like, here's how to surface the email builder. Here's how it interacts. We, ha- we do have an email builder. Don't try to design your own. <laughs> right. Um, and then obviously all of this is backed by on our uh, web-based product, our Vue.js component library on the engineering side. And then for our mobile product, our React Native yep. uh, component library. Um, so that's the basis. That's to make sure that we're all starting from the same place. Um, but when you talk about the experience and when it crosses over into certain outcomes and different feature areas, that's where, especially on the product management and design side, um, we're constantly syncing up. We actually run a DACI model. Right? Yeah, so great. we'll map out, yep, who, who's the driver, who's going to be accountable, who should be you know, in the loop and contributing and who should be informed. Um, so we've actually moved towards that quite a bit to make sure that everyone's thinking through, okay, I'm going to work on email builder. Um, it's my team's mission right now, but I know this is going to cross over into three other teams areas. Cool. Let's get a sync meeting. Let's break out the DACI model. Let's make sure everyone understands. Let's find out if there's any conflicts. And then when we get through, you know, when we actually start a design process, it's making sure to bring in the other designers as well, Mm -hmm. because they already have that tribal knowledge and they can say, Hey, you know, there's a conflict if you do it that way, let's walk through and we'll work through a solution together. And that's really the biggest thing is even though you have these pods where one designer will sit within that pod. Um, I always make sure that my team is constantly reaching out to other designers. Like, don't go it alone. Like, yes, you are on that that small team alone, but we're not alone. We're still a product design team. Yeah. Make sure that you guys are doing proper ideation. You're going through the design process together. You're getting multiple ideas, not just one. So really uh, that as well. That's awesome. Now, I know you're you're personally pretty passionate about design systems as well, from what I understand. Because am I right in saying that designsystems.io is kind of your your brainchild as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, when I was at CDK Global, um, I had a design system team where we had uh, a lead product designer and then uh, two senior designers and then an entire engineering team to back it where uh, we had over 100 products in over 100 countries. Wow. So my mission there was to create a design system that would account for that and something that could scale across our global teams. And so that's exactly what we did. And uh, it was so impactful that by the time we officially announced it was launched, we already had six products up and running on it. And then another half dozen in process. So, I mean, I I became very passionate about design systems and staying at the forefront of it. And I made it a mission to educate the entire global community on design systems. So that's how I started designsystems.io, where I have the opportunity to interview, um, you know, tons of people from major companies and able to let everyone hear their stories and what they're going through. I love that. We we have been doing design systems, albeit we weren't calling them that. I don't think we knew to call them that um, for a long time just as an agency. And it is a bit harder as an agency, right? Because you maybe don't have the, you have to kind of move things in kind of from, from the outside in. Um, but as we've been kind of really more naming design systems as something we're super passionate about and a really great way to pull together an entire team and have a shared knowledge, um, shared vocabulary, um, your design systems.io started popping up all over our radar. So it was really cool to, to get a chance to, to talk to the creator of it. So that, that was very exciting. So I'm curious though, how do you define, cause you already even said this, and I know you also have style guide online. Where do, help me to understand where you think about the difference between a, a design system and a style guide. 
I just, I think that's a question we've heard people bring up, especially our designers before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time. So um, a design system is, I would call it the complete package of everything, right? So a lot of times people were interchangeably uh, use design system and style guide, um, not interchangeable in this case though. So uh, a design system usually has like three major components that you can break it out into. Um, you have library packs and templates, which is what helps out the designers. Mm -hmm. You have your style guide, which hosts your documentation. And this is everything from your basic styles, colors, typography, um, you know, illustrations, basic stuff like that, um, all the way down into your actual components and patterns and how to use them. Yeah. And then the third category is you have the actual developed components and the documentation that goes along with that for engineering. Mm. So library packs and templates, style guide, components. Those three will build an actual design system that product teams can take and run with and make sure that they build a consistent product. That's, I love it. It's something we're trying to, you know, implement across the board, albeit it does take time too. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious how you balance that, that time of, you know, the quote, the, the old uh, product issue of how do we work on what's next while we're working on building our systems and processes, you know, infrastructure, et cetera. How do you balance that time or maybe specifically in your role um, across your, des your design team specifically? Yeah. So, um, you know, everyone's situation is different. This is what people want to hear about. They, when they ask questions about design systems, they always have some internal conflict mm -hmm. that they're working through and they want to know, how did you solve it? Cause I'm going through it right now. That's right. Help me. <laughs> how do I get past this? You know, and everyone's in different stages of they have zero buy-in and they don't even have a design system. They're just getting started. And then there's some people that have full fledged design systems that nobody is adopting. Right. Um, you know, those are uniquely different challenges and, uh, entirely different responses for how that gets. But, uh, the other big part is what is your actual allocation to your design system team? Mm -hmm. um, you know, not every company can afford to actually have a full blown design system team. So sometimes it's a grassroots effort yep. and people find a little time here and there to complete it. But, um, the nice thing about being a design leader now is that I get to help make these decisions. So as soon as I started at Keep, I evaluated where the design system was at and it was like a grassroots effort. They, they had the components. Um, they didn't really have any documentation. Uh, they, they didn't really have a style guide. They had the starts of it. So it, it was still in, you know, it's very beginning stages. And for me, it was easy to say, okay, we're going to stand up design operations. So I took one of the designers that was really passionate about design systems and I moved him over and said, you're going to be the star of design operations at Keep. And within that, we're going to do a lot of really good things for the overall efficiency of the design organization, um, including how we move faster and yeah. better with our design system. That's great. So that was, that was, yeah. So that's really, if you were to ask, how did we, you know, find time it's coming in and saying, this is a priority. Um, it's something that's going, it has benefit. Uh, you know, it's something we need to implement. Should have already been implemented. Let's get this done. So you mentioned a couple challenges there. So mm -hmm. on that topic, uh, building high performing, high performance teams is not, it's not easy. Um, it's challenging. It's incredibly rewarding, but it has its difficulties. What would you say within your team, either your team or even your organization right now, what are the top two challenges you're working through that if you solved, you feel like your team would be operating that much better? So uh, definitely one of the top challenges, and uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, is staying aligned across the product. Um, it's something where 
Um, like I said, the first time I've been in this position, it's a, it's a great one to be in, and that is you have multiple teams working on the same product. Um, and with that, it's, it's staying consistent, it's staying aligned, it's making sure that you aren't duplicating features, you aren't treading over each other, and even designers aren't having conflicts against each other. Hmm. Um, you may run into challenges where one designer's like, hey, you're, you're kind of designing in my area. Mm-hmm. Like, why are, I, I noticed your team's tackling that, you're kind of treading over, like, why are you guys doing that? Um, so there, there's those types of challenges. And that's where you go back to making sure that you have uh, really strong design reviews, make sure that designers are constantly presenting their work, whether it's within the just the design team or even like at Keep, we've started to actually broadcast that into our product development demos oh, nice. where our engineers will show, here's what we're about to ship. Here's live code. We're going to demo it. And then after that, we transition to where the designers actually get up and they go, this is in discovery. So big disclosure, this may or may not ever exist. Don't take it at face value. Don't get too excited. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these, it, it's our researchers that will present discovery work. It's our designers that will show um, some light concepts or full-blown prototypes. And one of the things that we ran into is I had an engineer that came up to me uh, a few months ago and he said, you know, um, you and I were talking last week and you showed me this thing that you were working on. And I had no idea you guys were tackling that. We literally thought as a company, we were going to hit a block wall because oh, nobody man. was thinking about this problem. And he goes, but it's because we're siloed into teams. We had no idea. So how do we solve that? So that's where him and I came up with the idea of how do we broadcast this to the entire product development organization? And that's how we started to bake it into our product development demos. And that's starting to help solve the problem where I said, some people still think like, cool, is this about to ship? And it's like, no, no, hold on. Like we all need to make sure that this, you know, it's discovery work. It may, but we're looking into it. Just know that we are going after this mm-hmm. and it's something that we're going to at least invest uh, discovery time against it. Um, so yeah, that's a, a few challenges there that we are tackling and mm-hmm. we've definitely, anytime we identify a problem, we encourage everyone in the organization to do this, no matter what department you're in. If there's a problem, find a way to solve it. Pull in the design team. We'll help you go through, um, you know, a good design thinking process on that, right? It doesn't have to be a physical product yeah. and we can solve that problem. Everything you mentioned there was around information flow. Yeah. As, culture. as product development companies, product design companies, we rarely have an issue generating information. We are very creative. We like to get into a room. We like to draw stuff on a whiteboard and just generate, look at all these ideas where it comes that much more difficult, particularly in a growing organization is now, what do we do with that information? What's labeled as an idea? What's labeled as, no, we're actually going to work on this. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of going back to the Daisy um, framework there of like, who's driving it, who's accountable, who's a contributor. And then also who needs to be informed. Mm. Um, It's all around information flow and communication. And again, more people means more communication pathways. Um, It's just part of product leadership. And it's, in my opinion, the hardest part. It's so that I think if (laughs) designing an incredible system and designing an incredible product, it's, that seems like that's the fun kind of like, yeah, we're doing that. It, that, I think the hardest part is, I mean, my mantra is, and I'm, I'm in the business of people. I just happen to build technology or design technology. And it's the people it's, it's making sure we're all communicating and we're all on the same page and we understand the why behind the things that we're mm-hmm. running against right now. So I, I love that really that keep has that kind of culture, right? Cause that's a culture that has to be fostered that allows for those types of conversations to happen. That allows for those challenges to come out that allows to explore better ways to solve problems. Um, that's huge. That's not, that's not everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, okay, so what are what are two or three takeaways um, that you would give, or maybe insights that you would give for either a designer or a product leader that's getting into this space, um, is excited to learn, excited to grow, wants to take it to the next level? What are some things that you think are kind of can't forget these as you as you get into this space? Um, so I would say that some interesting things that I've kind of had to shift my mentality on is you always hear people saying, you know, be data driven, be mm. data driven, right? Everything be data driven. And you're like, okay, I get it. I should be data driven. Mm. Um, but really, so, uh, a few months back, I let, you know, met with all of my lead product designers, uh, along with my, my peer, who's another product design manager. And we talked about, um, we need to go through and we need to rewrite our job descriptions. Mm. And so we actually ran workshops and we did co-creation with our lead product designers of what should this look like? And one of the things that came up is talking about being data driven. And we actually had a pretty heated debate about that. And it was a really good one because what we came to is it's not being data driven, it's being data informed. And it's kind of that epiphany of really a lot of times data is going to show you this number is bigger than this number. Mm-hmm. And if you act on that, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And right now, I think everyone's in that mentality of, yeah, that number's bigger, go for it, versus really taking a step back and saying something's off or we, we know there's potentially a problem, mm-hmm. pull in your researchers and go find out why it turned out that way. Yeah. Right. I mean, you may find out that, hey, we, we launched a new feature we're, we're you know, we quickly iterated, we got it out there. Now we're going to measure and we're going to find out if it's successful. And you see that that nobody's using it, you know. So if you were to say, okay, well the numbers are low, let's kill the feature and let's move on. Mm. Um, but if you actually deploy your researchers and they find out, like, no, actually, uh, you know, most of the people didn't even know it existed. You buried it in some area; they had no clue it existed. Um, that's why only a few went in there. Let's talk about how we solve that problem. Let's right. iterate on that. Let's remeasure. Um, so yeah, that that's my first takeaway point: is always make sure to be uh, data informed. Make sure you, you know what things are looking like, um, but then know to take a step back, do your research, and then find out why the numbers showed up that way. Mm-hmm. Extremely important. <laughs> I, love, um, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> a well, big I, lesson learned that I've had I recently. Think, I think that can apply to a lot of things, not just business. You know, it's like history doesn't predict the future, but it, it can inform the future. So the idea of like if you're in a boardroom, like you said, if you're data driven, it's like, well, the data doesn't say this, so we can't move forward. But you're inherently looking at something in the past already. Data is in the past. It, it's something that you measured. It happened. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen the same way because of all these other factors that are just compounding the complexity of this decision. And so I, th- I think I might actually start using that. Let's be data informed. Data informed. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm stealing it. <laughs> I'll give you credit, but I'm stealing it. Any other, yeah. <laughs> any, any, any other takeaways um, that you'd share getting into this? Yeah, the other really big one. So um, one thing, and this is another thing in my last role at CDK Global that I learned is, uh, um, and this is something where it's almost like a muscle. You got to flex it. And that is reaching out and including others, mm-hmm. right? Somebody in the organization knows something that you need to know, or um, they can help you innovate. And so not going through your process in a silo, but as you actually run through, um, especially getting to design thinking, right? There's so many different stages where if it's literally just design or even just design and research, you're missing out on so much because Mm -hmm. that is just a small piece of it. Um, You need to be including your engineers, your product team, your researchers, your content strategists, 
um, other departments, right? Pull in your sales reps, pull in your customer service reps, pull in marketing. Um, I think in every place I've ever worked, everyone says, don't, don't talk to marketing. <laughs> don't talk to them. They don't have what you need. They never give us what we want. Um, and it's just such a, a missed opportunity. I mean, at CDK Global, everyone said, don't talk to marketing, don't go to them. And I built such a, a strong bond with our, our creative director there that they were just awesome contributors to our design system because we're like, hey, we, we need empty states and uh, mm -hmm. we need an illustration mm -hmm. style that we can put on those can you help us solve this problem they're like absolutely like they deployed their teams to help us build up our design system in different areas that they could contribute so the big takeaway is you are missing out on so much if you try to go through the process by yourself or even even just with a subset of who you really should be including that you're never really going to get that true great product um without that mm. oh man Man, good, good stuff. This is like you are, we are on the same wavelength. This is, I love it. Uh, okay. So obviously you're thinking about this stuff all the time. You're creating content to, to put out to the world because you want to make sure that people are learning and growing. What's some place that you go for inspiration? Where do you go to learn to, to get better at your craft? Yeah. So this is, um, kind of an interesting question because I'll, I'll run through a very quick story as I go through and answer this. Um, you know, traditionally, I've never really cared for Twitter, right? When Twitter came out as part of social media, I just, I never got on the bandwagon. I was like, okay, what is it like? You have 144 characters to say something and that's it. Like, that's literally what this platform's for. And over the past few years, I always think about how can I learn three times faster than my peers, right? How do I, mm. how do I stay ahead of everybody else? So that way, me personally, I'm competitive in the job market, but also that I can bring more value within the organizations that I'm at. And it's funny because I started to think about Twitter and really started to understand like, what a great concept. You have 140, well, I know they've expanded it since then, but sure, you can write a blog post now on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But traditionally you had 144 characters to get to the point and if somebody really wanted to uh, understand more about it or, or you know, see behind the scenes on how you got there, you can provide a link right. and then people can go to it. And for somebody like me, that, that's just so important because a lot of articles I read, um, I'm not really big on books, right? So books, I, I, a lot of people are like, really, you don't read books? I go, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I've read a book, to be honest. Actually, the last book that I read was the Design Sprint book. Hmm. It's a good one. Uh, so it is a good one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's, it's, there's, there's so much fluff in there, right? People have these like elaborate stories that they want to tell. And for me, I want to move quickly and I want to get to the point as quickly as possible. What are the key lessons learned and what are the key things that I need to know to implement this hmm. so that I can quickly move forward? Um, so as far as where do I go for inspiration? The first thing I do is obviously on LinkedIn. I let my peers in the community screen out bad content. Yeah, <laughs> so that's smart. Yeah, if somebody posts and says, hey, I've read through this, this is uh, truly valuable, here's why it's valuable, you guys should check it out, and it's somebody that I trust, I go, okay, cool, I'll check that article out. Usually it's it's on a, a UX or product side, or it's um, on Medium, something like that, and it's something that you invest five or ten minutes and you can get the value out of it. So that that's really helps me save time to let everyone else screen it, I can see it, so um, yeah, it's definitely a big way that I go through about getting those bits of information I need. 
Bless you. That's the first time I've sneezed in the podcast studio. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Though that's that's fantastic. I, I totally agree with you. There's an uh, there's a neat app. And there's a couple of them, but Blinkist is one of them um, that actually does synopsis of books. Where I'm kind of the same way. I, I my my kind of book hack because I do I enjoy books. My book hack is I usually read the first chapter, and then for every chapter past that, I read the first basically sentence or paragraph and the last sentence or paragraph of each chapter, and I go. Okay, I get it, and then I move on. And then if I need, if I want to go fill in the fluff because it's usually some repetitive story, I'll do it. But Blinkist is great because it basically just gives you a synopsis of what you need to know about the book. You're like, yeah, I get it. We can move on. Um, but Design Sprint's a good one. That's fantastic. Um, last question: What is the what is something being in this space as a designer, as a design leader um, in the product world that you're just you're really excited about right now, um, either for yourself, for your company, or for the industry as a whole? Um, I mean, with that, I'm, I'm going to have to defer back to keep about this. And it's because, um, yes, we're building a product, but it's more than that, mm. right? It's, it's who we're building it for. It's the mission we're after. And it's everyone that we hire is, is truly invested in the product, right? So, um, it's, it's being customer centric, right? It's really understanding who you're building it for that they need to be successful, um, it just works wonders, right? Because everybody wants to do the best job they can. They want to build the best product they can, and they'll take steps to make sure that that happens. And at Keep, there's there's literally nothing, right? We have to constantly remind our teams, and that is there's nothing stopping us from doing whatever we want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Past roles, I would say, hey, we need to uh, we need to implement better analytics on this. We need to really understand how people are using the product, and people say, yeah, well, you know, we we can't do that right now, or maybe and I mean, that, that's just not how it is at Keep. I mean, when we build a product, whatever it takes to get the best outcome, we're gonna do it. Whether that's doing a better design process, whether that's uh, hiring more designers or more product managers or more engineers, or whether it's revamping our process, um, we're gonna solve the problem. And that's just a great mindset to have. So good. I love it. I mean, you have some interviews where you're like, okay, yeah. that's good. You know, this is, I'm really excited about yep. this. Steven, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. I want to be respectful of your time. And, and, um, generally speaking, I've thrown out a couple of your, your sites here, but where can people find more about you and maybe what you're working on? Yeah. So, um, I do have my, my personal site, which is MeyerUX.com. Um, and that one's really more of like my personal portfolio site. Um, but one thing that I also really host on there is my leadership deck. And this is something that I share with my teams and it's really their introduction and how to work with me. Um, so it's, it's a great thing that I've ran through. There's tons of uh, things on there. It's actually um, something that I picked up where there's several other people that have created a similar deck I like and that. it's something for inspiration. Yeah. So if anybody wants to check that out, you can definitely go on there to get some inspiration. And uh, um, but other than that, um, you know, you can catch me on most major social media channels of, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter and all that fun stuff. So awesome. Well, Steven, thanks again for your time. And I really appreciate coming on the option five podcast. Yeah, it's great. Uh, great being here and talking to you guys. Thanks again. Thanks, Steven. I absolutely loved that conversation with Steven. I love his heart for um, the people that he serves both internally and externally. Um, you can tell that he's passionate about doing great work um, and then creating systems and processes so that that work can scale. And I think that's how more product teams should be 
uh, thinking. And I hope that's uh, something that you can take back to your product teams as you're thinking about how to make your teams better. Thank you as always for listening to Option 5. We are a small group of people trying to create a, a, a podcast that can grow and really provide value for product teams or people that are trying to get into the product world. And Dan and I own a company called Crema. We are um, based here in Kansas City and we're a digital product agency serving clients all over the world now trying to really bring to them what makes an incredible product culture, what makes incredible product teams, which is what we offer is full stack, um, iterative, um, multidisciplinary teams, and why we think those types of teams can change the world. So check out crema.us to learn more about um, us. And if you can, share this podcast with your friends, your coworkers, your bosses, your your team, and uh, tell them how this has maybe helped you to think about how to create a better product team for yourself. Until next time, thank you for listening to Option 5.